Hi, this is Steve Thompson, and today we will be reading through Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and with his winnowing fork, and then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. You know, I think about these prophety type people that can be super uncomfortable. They're all business and no play usually. Like they're strange, (laughs) if not dangerous, because they just don't care. They don't care what people think. They don't care that the way they live makes other people uncomfortable. They don't care that they're saying things in very straightforward, confrontational ways. They don't even care if they themselves are uncomfortable. But here's the beauty of prophetic type people. They have found a single-minded focus that is worth all of their attention and energy, and they've sold out for it. You know exactly what you're getting because they're not hedging their bets. There's no hidden meaning. There's no guessing where they stand. And honestly, they're worth listening to because often they're right. So here's John, the quintessential picture of a prophet who knows exactly what he's about and what God is wanting him to do. But he's weird. 
He's smelly. He's uncomfortable. Hygiene does not appear to be a priority for this guy. His survival food diet is completely unappealing for obviously us, but for people of any era. And all of these things and the confidence by which he spoke of God's agenda had people's attention. John should have our attention too. I mean, Jesus had his back. Jesus affirmed that he was right on target. And people got a sense of that, that he was right. He was drawing crowds, not just because he was a spectacle or entertaining to watch, but because there was something very right about him and about what he was saying. He was not mincing words with people and people were taking it to heart. Well, except the people that he had the harshest words for, the people that everyone else probably thought had their stuff together. Honestly, they did have their lives together. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they were morally pure people. These guys were dedicated to living their lives precisely as God had commanded through the law and then some. Plus, they were passionate about getting everyone else to live their lives in the same way. So why were John's harshest criticisms reserved for them? I'm guessing that this might have been a little confusing for your average person. I think people would have been well accustomed to religious leaders arguing amongst themselves over doctrine or details of the law. But John here took these criticisms to another level. He brought their very character and motives into question. I could be wrong, but I feel like your average Joe or your average Yahashua might have felt a bit like a, a child caught in the middle of their parents arguing. Two people that normally they form a team and they represent the same things are now arguing. And it turns out your mom has some very serious accusations about your dad's motives and behaviors when all along you thought he was a really good guy. I mean, he's the one that taught you not to lie, not to steal, not to cheat. And he's the one that would give you a spanking if he caught you doing any of those things. But now mom's pointing out some pretty massive flaws in this guy. I'm sure I've pressed my analogy way too far, but when I try to listen to God's voice in this passage for me, I do admit I feel a bit stuck between what seems to be these two polar opposites that should be a team. I mean, obviously, I should take mom's side. I mean, John's side, because Jesus sided with him. But dad, he still stands for all that's right in the world. These religious leaders are people who are committed to getting it right because their existence as a people depended on it, depended on pleasing God. So when John says, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God, that makes me stop and reflect for a bit. Prove by the way you live that you have turned from your self-focused and self-righteous life to one that is pointed toward God in every way. <laughs> I fall short of that part regularly. I don't think I fall into quite the same trap the religious leaders did, that self-assured pride that was rooted in their bloodline and, and a moral superiority and confidence that was unjustified, as it turns out, and it kept people at arm's length. It kept people at a distance. I mean, hopefully that's not me, but... 
my life still lacks that single-minded focus, that completely unself-conscious style that is constantly baptized in the flow of the Holy Spirit. I feel like I get out of that flow pretty regularly. John says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be a slave, let alone carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so I think holding these two things in juxtaposition, my frailties, my proclivities, my inconsistencies and weaknesses, compared to the baptism that Jesus is inviting us into. Probably most of us have been baptized, actually, and have stepped into this life, but all of a sudden there's this awareness that we need this baptism over and over again. Every day, every moment, this baptism of Jesus by his spirit and his fire. So I just want to pray into that for all of us together. Jesus, will you walk us again today into your baptism? A baptism that denies self and dies to self? A baptism that burns all of the impurity and the dross and the invaluable and the inconsequential consume us with your fire of passion and power and purity. Fill us again today, Holy Spirit. Amen.